Section twenty three of the Underground Railroad Part three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Underground Railroad Part three by William Still. Section twenty three. Arrival from Alexandria, eighteen fifty seven. Oscar D. Ball and Montgomery Graham. $400 reward. Ran away from the owner in Alexandria, Virginia, on the night of the 13th instant. Two young Negro men, from 20 to 25 years of age. Montgomery is a very bright mulatto, about 5 feet 6 inches in height, of polite manners and smiles much when speaking or spoken to. Oscar is of a tawny complexion, about six feet high, sluggish in his appearance and movements, and of awkward manners. One hundred dollars each will be paid for the delivery of the above slaves, if taken in a slave state, or two hundred dollars each if taken in a free state. One or more slaves belonging to other owners, it is supposed, went in their company. Address, John T. Gordon, Alexandria, Virginia. Although the name of John T. Gordon appears signed to the above advertisement, he was not the owner of Montgomery and Oscar. According to their own testimony, they belonged to a maiden lady by the name of Miss Elizabeth Gordon, who probably thought that the business of advertising for runaway Negroes was rather beneath her. While both these passengers manifested great satisfaction in leaving their mistress, they did not give her a bad name. On the contrary, they gave her just such a character as the lady might have been pleased with in the main. They described her thus. Mistress is a spare woman, tolerably tall, and very kind except when sick. She would not pay much attention then. She was a member of the Southern Methodist Church and was strict in her religion. Having a good degree of faith in his mistress, Oscar made bold one day to ask her how much she would take for him. She agreed to take $800. Oscar, wishing to drive a pretty close bargain, offered her $700, hoping that she would view the matter in a religious light, and would come down $100. After reflection, instead of making a reduction, she raised the amount to $1,000, which Oscar concluded was too much for himself. It was not, however, as much as he was worth, according to his mistress's estimate, for she declared that she had often been offered $1,500 for him. Miss Gordon raised Oscar from a child, and had treated him as a pet. When he was a little shaver, seven or eight years of age, she made it a practice to have him sleep with her, showing that she had no prejudice. Being rather of a rare type of slaveholders, she is entitled to special credit. Montgomery, the companion of Oscar, could scarcely be distinguished from the white folks, in speaking of his mistress, however, he did not express himself in terms quite so complimentary as Oscar. With regard to giving passes, he considered her narrow, to say the least. But he was in such perfectly good humour with everybody, owing to the fact that he had succeeded in getting his neck out of the yoke, that he evidently had no desire to say hard things about her. Judging from his story, he had been for a long time desiring his freedom, and looking diligently for the Underground Railroad, but he had had many things to contend with when looking the matter of escape in the face. Arriving in Philadelphia, 
and finding himself breathing free air receiving aid and encouragement in the manner that he had never known before he was one of the happiest of creatures oscar left his wife and one child one brother and two sisters montgomery left one sister but no other near kin instead of going to canada oscar and his comrade pitched their tents in oswego new york where they changed their names and instead of returning themselves to their kind mistress they were wicked enough to be plotting as to how some of their friends might get off on the underground railroad as may be seen from the appended letters from oscar who was thought to be sluggish etc oswego october twenty fifth eighteen fifty seven dear sir i take this opportunity of writing you these few lines to inform you that i am well and hope these few lines will find you the same and your family you must excuse me for not writing to you before i would have written to you before this but i put away the card you gave me and could not find it until a few days since i did not go to canada for i got work in oswego but times are very dull here at present i have been out of employ about five weeks i would like to go to australia do you know of any gentleman that is going there or any other place except south that wants a servant to go there with him to wait on him or do any other work i have a brother that wants to come north i received a letter from him a few days ago can you tell me of any plan that i can fix to get him give my respects to mrs still and all your family please let me know if you hear of any birth of that kind nothing more at present i remain your obedient servant oscar d ball but my name is now john delaney direct your letter to john delaney oswego new york care of r oliphant oswego november twenty first eighteen fifty seven mr william still esq dear sir your letter of the nineteenth came duly to hand i am glad to hear that the underground railroad is doing so well i know those three well that you said come from alex i broke the ice and it seems as if they are going to keep the track open but i had to stand and beg of those two that started with me to come and even give one of them money and then he did not want to come i had a letter from my brother a few days ago and he says if he lives and nothing happens to him he will make a start for the north and there is many others there that would start now but they are afraid of getting frostbitten there was two left alex about five or six weeks ago their names are as follows lawrence thornton and townsend derrick they have been to philadelphia from what i can learn they will leave alex in mourning next spring in the last letter i got from my brother he named a good many that wanted to come when he did and they are all sound men and can be trusted he reads and writes his own letters William Triplett and Thomas Harper passed through here last summer from my old home Which way did those three that you spoke of go? Times are very dull here at present and I can get nothing to do But thank God have a good boarding house and will be sheltered from the weather this winter Give my respects to your family Montgomery sends his also nothing more at present yours truly John Delaney arrival from unionville eighteen fifty seven caroline aldridge and john wood caroline was a stout light-complexioned healthy-looking young woman of twenty-three years of age she fled from thornton pool of unionville maryland 
She gave her master the character of being a very mean man, with a wife meaner still. I consider them mean in every respect, said Caroline. No great while before she escaped, one of her brothers and a sister had been sent to the southern market. Recently she had been apprised that herself and a younger brother would have to go the same dreadful road. She therefore consulted with the brother and a particular young friend to whom she was engaged, which resulted in the departure of all three of them. Though the ordinary steps relative to marriage, as far as slaves were allowed, had been complied with, nevertheless on the road to Canada they availed themselves of the more perfect way of having the ceremony performed, and went on their way rejoicing. Since the sale of Caroline's brother and sister just referred to, her mother and three children had made good their exit to Canada, having been evidently prompted by said sale. Long before that time, however, three other brothers fled on the Underground Railroad. They were encouraged to hope to meet each other in Canada. John Wood. John was about twenty-eight years of age, of agreeable manners, intelligent, and gave evidence of a strong appreciation of liberty. Times with John had not been very rough, until within the last year of his bondage. By the removal of his old master by death, a change for the worse followed. The executors of the estate, one of whom owed him an old grudge, made him acquainted with the fact that amongst certain others he would have to be sold. Judge Birch, one of the executors, itching to see him broke in, took particular pains to speak to a notorious tyrant by the name of Boldin, to buy him. Accordingly, on the day of sale, Boldin was on hand, and the successful bidder for John. Being familiar with the customs of this terrible Boldin, of the starving fare and cruel flogging usual on his farm, John mustered courage to declare at the sale that he would not serve him. In the hearing of his new master, he said, Before I will serve him, I will cut my throat. The master smiled and simply asked for a rope, had me tied and delivered into the hands of a constable, to be sent over to the farm. Before reaching his destination, John managed to untie his hands and feet and flee to the woods. For three days he remained secreted. Once or twice he secretly managed to get an interview with his mother and one of his sisters, by whom he was persuaded to return to his master. Taking their advice, he commenced service under circumstances compared with which the diet, labour, and comforts of an ordinary penitentiary would have been luxurious. The chief food allowed the slaves on the plantation consisted of the pot liquor, in which the pork was boiled, with Indian meal bread. The merest glance at what he experienced during his brief stay on the plantation must suffice. In the field where John, with a number of others, was working, stood a hill up which they were repeatedly obliged to ascend with loads on their backs and the overseer at their heels with lash in hand occasionally slashing at first one and then another to keep up the utmost physical endurance was taxed john though a stout young man and having never known any other condition than that of servitude nevertheless found himself quite unequal to the present occasion I was surprised, said he, to see the expertness with which all flew up the hill. One woman, quite lusty, unfit to be out of the house, on running up the hill, fell. In a moment she was up again, with her brush on her back, and an hour afterwards the overseer was whipping her. My turn came. 
"'What is the reason you can't get up the hill faster?' exclaimed the overseer. At the same time he struck me with a cowhide. I told him I would not stand it. Old Uncle George Washington never failed to get a whipping every day. So after serving at this only a few days, John made his last solemn vow to be free or die, and off he started for Canada. Though he had to contend with countless difficulties, he at last made the desired haven. He hailed from one of the lower counties of Maryland. John was not contented to enjoy the boon alone, but like a true lover of freedom he remembered those in bonds as bound with them, and so was scheming to make a hazardous adventure south on the express errand of delivering his family, as the subjoined letter will show. Glandford, August 15th, 1858 Dear Sir, I received your letter and was glad to hear that your wife and family was all well, and I hope it will continue so. I am glad to inform you that this leaves me well. Also, Mr. William Still, I want for you to send me your opinion respecting my circumstances. I have made up my mind to make an adventure after my family, and I want to get an answer from you, and then I shall know how to act, and then I will send to you all particulars respecting my starting to come to your house. Mr. Still, I should be glad to know where Abraham Harris is, as I should be glad to see him, as well as any of my own brothers. His wife and my wife's mother is sisters. My wife belongs to Elson Burdell's estate. Abraham's wife belongs to Sam Adams. Mr. Still, you must not think hard of me for writing you these few lines, as I cannot rest until I release my dear family. I have not the least doubt, but I can get through without the least trouble. So no more at present from your humble servant, John B. Woods. End of section 23